Welcome to the podcast from In Church, Phoenix. This message is Fellowship of the Unashamed with Pastor Scott Dawkins, April 2nd, 2017. All right, let's get into this. Lord God, I thank you for your word today. I thank you for, Lord, everyone that's gathered here. Lord, I just pray right now, Lord, that you'd help me to communicate your word. Lord, communicate it. Lord, through me in such a way, Lord, that it can be received and that would bear fruit, Lord, because your word goes out and, Lord, does not return void. And so I pray this morning that our hearts would be ready to, to receive and our ears would be ready to hear everything that you would say to us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Awesome. In uh, 1980, a young man from Rwanda was forced by his tribe to either announce Christ or face certain death. And he refused to renounce Christ, and he was killed on the spot. And the night before this happened, the following following was found written down in his room. He wrote these words, I'm part of the fellowship of the unashamed. The die has been cast. I have stepped over the line. The decision has been made. I am a disciple of Jesus Christ. I won't look back, let up, slow down, back away, or be still. My past is redeemed, my present makes sense, and my future is secure. I'm finished and I'm done with low living, sight walking, smooth knees, colorless dreams, tamed vision, worldly talking, cheap giving, and dwarfed goals. My face is set, my gate is fast, my goal is heaven, my road is narrow, my way is rough, My companions are few, my guide is reliable, and my mission is clear. I won't give up, shut up, let up until I've stayed up, stored up, and prayed up for the cause of Jesus Christ. And I must go till he comes and give till I drop, preach till everyone knows, and work till he stops me. And when he comes for his own, he will have no trouble recognizing me, because my banner will have been clear. That's the kind of life that I want to live. That kind of life is full of passion and purpose. It's looking to Jesus. It's following Jesus and it's living for Jesus. And it's all because of Jesus. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting with verse 14, it says, For the love of Christ controls us, because he has con- we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all. Have died, and he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no, thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. And all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses, not counting their sins against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. And we implore you on behalf of Christ, Be reconciled to God. Now, when Sam and I were applying for our work visas to come and move from Australia to to come and live here, 
we had to go to the U.S. consulate in Sydney. And uh, I had no idea, never been to a, a consulate of another country before. And so we had all our paperwork to show what kind of visa that we're applying for. And we went into this building and we got up to whatever floor it was, somewhere high up. And uh, we, we set foot through these doors. On the door it says U.S. consulate, consulate of the United States of America. So we, we step in through these doors and it's like we stepped out of Australia and stepped into the USA. It was a surreal experience because everything, everywhere that we looked, everywhere that we turned, was Ameri there's the American flag in God we trust. Like it was just all there. It was just like, where are we? And everyone that we spoke to had American accents. Y'all. Everyone that we spoke to, they, they were there to represent. They were there as United States of American citizens. And they were representing the U.S. They were citizens of America, but they were representing America. So when we went into our interview, we had to have this interview and we're talking there and we're, we're talking to the person who's asking us all the questions and we're answering the questions. And then they have to make an adjudication. They have to determine then whether, we want, whether they want to give these two Aussies and their three kids a work visa to come to the United States of America. But they don't get to do it based on whether they like us or not. That person, let's just call him Mark. I don't know. His name wasn't Mark, but I don't remember what it is. I'm 44 nearly. Let's just call him. And so I'm talking to Mark, and he's talking to me, and, and we're having a good conversation, and... He's a nice guy, and hopefully he thinks I'm a nice guy too. But he doesn't get to make the decision based on whether he thinks I'm a nice guy. He has to make the decision based on the, the policies and the procedures and, and the paperwork and, and everything that's been laid out for him because he's an ambassador of the United States of America. He's not there to represent his own will. He's not there to represent what he likes or what he wants. He has to make his decision based upon what does the USA want? I've been, he's, he's been given that level of authority and he has to exercise that level of authority. And because he's an ambassador of the United States of America, he doesn't get to, man, yes, Scott and Sam, you guys look lovely, sure, come on in. He can't do that because he is an ambassador of the United States. So going back to this first, where it talks about now we are ambassadors of Jesus Christ. What does that mean? it's very similar to Mark. It's very similar. Like Mark didn't get to do what he wants, say what he wants in the context of what he's doing there. He, he had to operate according to what does the USA want. So as ambassadors for Christ, it's the same way. What does Jesus want me to do? I don't necessarily get to do what I want to do now because I am a, an ambassador for him. When people look at me, they, they hopefully will see something of Christ in me. I represent him, the words that I say, the things that I do, the way that I treat people. Are they seeing Scott or are they seeing an ambassador for Jesus Christ? Am I operating how Jesus would want me to operate? Am I treating people the way Jesus would want me to, to treat people? Am I having compassion the way Jesus would want me to have compassion? Because, you know, there's sometimes, particularly when I'm driving on the road and someone cuts me off, my level of compassion is pretty much as close to zero as you can get. But is that what Jesus would want me to do? 
Now, I'm not one of those road rage guys, so don't don't get me wrong. I kind of just rage silently in the car by myself. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm good on the road, I hope. Ask my kids. Actually, no. I just... But am I representing Jesus? Am I, am I a good ambassador for, for him? We represent him now. We are ambassadors with a mission, and we are ambassadors with a purpose. And, you know, those verses that we read, we have actually been given a ministry. In fact, this ministry that we were given was given to you the moment you were reconciled to God. I want to read this verse again, just verse 18 of 2 Corinthians. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. In, in us being reconciled to God, in that moment that we were reconciled to Him, He gave us the ministry of reconciliation. When, so what, is, what does the word reconciliation mean? I'm glad you asked. Re, reconciled, reconciled means that the differences were settled and that relationship is reestablished. Let me say that again. Reconciled means that the differences were settled. The things that the differences between you and God, that the things that we did that separated us from God, all that stuff, all that sin, all that junk, all that pride, all that, all that stuff. There was a difference then between us and with God. And so Jesus came that we could be reconciled, that he could make up that difference. We could never make up that difference. We could never get ourselves back right with God all by our sweet little selves. We needed Jesus to do that. So being reconciled is that he settles the differences on our behalf and that relationship is reestablished again. So when I was reconciled with God, Jesus settled the differences on my behalf on the cross so that I can have relationship with God. In our being reconciled, in us being made right with God, in us coming back into that relationship with him, we now have, at that moment, we now have the ministry of being seeing others reconciled to God. And there's only one way that that happens. It's not greater preaching, although if you ever hear Reagan is preaching again, you've got to come out and hear her preach. But it's not even better music or, or brighter lighting. It's not bigger skate ramps. It's not more facilities. It's, it's the gospel. How does this happen? How does reconciliation happen? How does the ministry of reconciliation work? Through the gospel. It's sharing the gospel. It's telling the good news of Jesus Christ. In Romans chapter 1, a well-known verse, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So what I want to talk about today is how do we live this out? What does this look like? When I wake up tomorrow morning, what does this look like? How do we join the fellowship of the unashamed, which is what that poem was called, that what I read out before. So I'm going to look at a couple of quick examples here in Luke chapter 19, starting at verse 1. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, and he was a chief tax collector and was rich. 
And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he's about to pass by that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry, come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried down and came down and received him joyfully. And when they, being the people, when the people saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Shame on you, Jesus. They should have. He, Jesus should know better than hanging out with the likes of this guy. Verse 8, And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything any had, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he is also a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. I've always loved this story about Zacchaeus because we can be sometimes, maybe not us in this room, but I have in the past, been like the crowd that grumbled. Thinking, what's Jesus hanging out with that person for? What, why is Jesus blessing that person? Doesn't Jesus know their past? Doesn't they know that? Doesn't doesn't he know that they haven't lived good? Doesn't doesn't God know that they use bad words? Doesn't God know that they, they've had a shady past. Doesn't doesn't God know? Why why does God want to be interested in that person? And I'm so glad that he is interested in that in those people because I'm one of them. And I think too that there can be a, a danger sometimes in in and I, and unfortunately I've seen this in church life where someone comes in to church and their life is in a mess. Things aren't going good. They're in a whole world of hurting. And they come in to church and, and there's a thought there that's kind of, well, you know, if you want to become a Christian, then you're going to need to, you know, smarten up a little bit. You're going to need to change this. You're going to need to stop doing that. You're going to need to do this. And you're going to need to, and we, and we come up with this checklist of things that we need, we think people need to be able to do before they're worthy enough to become a Christian. It doesn't work that way. It's actually the flip side. It's like we want people to be able to come in to church, mess and everything, and meet Jesus, to know Jesus. And then once people meet Jesus, that's when change can happen. You know, there were probably some things in my life before I was a Christian that, that I was doing that I know God wasn't proud about, that he didn't like, that he didn't like me doing. But I didn't care because I wasn't a Christian anyway. But, you know, once I became a Christian and once I started getting to know God, once I started to understand, just get a glimpse of how much He loves me, in that relationship, I actually then wanted to change some things. I wanted to stop doing some things. I wanted to start doing some other things that were much more beneficial, much more fruitful in my life. It's, it's once we meet Jesus that the change can happen. The ministry of reconciliation is about introducing people to Jesus. Who, and it's Him who has the power to deliver. It's Him who has the power to set people free and restore and to fix and to clean and everything else that you and I both need in our own lives from Him. John chapter 8. 
early in the morning, he, being Jesus, came again to the temple. And all the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. And the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery. And placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law of Moses, uh, now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say, Jesus? This they said to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. And Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, Let him who is out without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and he wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. And Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. Now, Jesus, they thought, was trapped because they weren't wrong. The law of Moses did say, Hey, the punishment for this woman is to be taken out to the out of the gate out of the city and, and stoned to death. And so they thought that Jesus was trapped. They thought, man, this is a great way to trap Jesus. Because what could Jesus I mean? Jesus is the word. Jesus was the word. He's he has to he has to live out the word. So what's Jesus gonna do here? I don't know that he was writing down in the in the sand. I don't think he was just kind of stalling for time. I, I don't know what he was doing, but maybe he was writing a list of sins that maybe all these other people had committed. Who knows what he was writing down? And they hadn't trapped him. He said, sure, okay, go ahead. If you have no sin, go ahead. And obviously everyone standing there recognized they have sin too. They have sin too. And then Jesus is the one who could have, who had every right, according to the law, to throw the stone. So what did heaven have to say that day? He said, I don't condemn you either. I don't condemn you either. This is what the ministry of reconciliation looks like. This is what it looks like. My final example this morning, well, almost the final example, but John chapter 12. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. And so they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. And Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? And he said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used it to help himself to what was put into it. And Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. What does this ministry of reconciliation look like? It looks like having a meal with Zacchaeus. It looks like having compassion on a woman who was caught in sin and humiliated. 
It looks like accepting Mary, even when other Christians resent it. You don't have to be a theologian. You don't have to have a degree from a Christian university. I mean, those are great things. You don't have to have every spiritual gift to feel like before I can go and you know, operate in this ministry of reconciliation, man, I better be able to do all the spiritual gifts. I better be able to prophesy, have word of knowledge, cast out the gift of healing, man, give it all before I... We don't need any of those things before we can actually step out. Actually, God has equipped us already and will equip us and will give us any spiritual gift that we need to be able to walk it out. But we just need to acknowledge to start with that I have been reconciled with Christ and I now have the ministry of reconciliation. If we needed anything else from the moment we came into relationship with God, if we needed anything else to be able to walk this out, we would have received it. Actually, we have everything that we needed. And we have the Holy Spirit who lives in us. In Hebrews 12, it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. What was the joy that was set before Jesus that he would endure the cross? Amen. What was the joy set before him that he would despise the shame that was placed on him? The joy set before him was you. And that doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. When, when, I, when Jesus is about to go to the cross and he knows, he knows what's about to happen. He knows the penalty he's about to pay. He knows the price. He knows what he's carrying. He knows what's about to happen. And it says, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. For the joy that was set before him, he despised the shame that was placed upon him. The joy set before him was you and me. That was the joy that was set before him. He had joy in the face of shame because he saw Zacchaeus. He saw the woman caught in adultery. He saw Mary and he saw you and he saw me. He saw Joel. He saw Christian. He saw Vern. He saw us all. He saw Scott. He saw you, Josh. There's a joy set before him. And the joy was you. That's why he could endure that. And he saw your neighbor. And he saw your friends. And he saw your family members. And he saw your work colleagues. He saw your spouse. He saw the person who serves you at your favorite restaurant. He saw all those people. He saw every single person. That was the joy that was set before him. And we now have the ministry of reconciliation. It, it's, it's the ministry that every Christian has. It's not the ministry that a pastor has. My, my title is pastor, but I am a Christian. A Christian is who I am. A pastor is what I do, but a Christian is who I am. A Christian, and, and every Christian, 
we have the ministry of reconciliation. So who can, who could you have a meal with this week? Or who are you having a meal with this week? So that you can take an opportunity, see an opportunity to show them, tell them about God's love for them. Maybe there's someone at school that is going through a hard time or in the workplace. And they just need a friend to take some time to talk to, to pray with them. Let them know that God is there for them. This is what the gospel is in action. And it shouldn't matter what others think. That's just like with Jesus. He despised the shame. He, he endured all of that. He, he took on the grumbling of the people when he... He didn't care about the grumbling of the people when he went and saw Zacchaeus. He didn't let the grumbling of them worry him. He didn't let the grumbling stop him from going to Zacchaeus because it was about Zacchaeus in that moment. Who is there in your life that it needs to be about right now? And you may think, well, that person may think this, or they may say this to me, or let's shut out. Let's not be ashamed of, of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ because for people like Zacchaeus and for Mary and the woman caught in adultery, they need it. Your work colleagues need it. Your neighbors need it. They need to know the gospel. They need to know about Jesus who died for their sins so that we could have relationship with God so the differences were settled and that we can have relationship with God forever and ever. Because Jesus was unashamed, Zacchaeus received salvation. Because Jesus was unashamed, the woman caught in adultery was restored and not condemned. And because Jesus was unashamed, Mary's gift is still being talked about 2,000 years later. And despite the criticism of Judas and the other disciples, this is the ministry of reconciliation. Church, what could change in a day? What, what would happen in our city if, if, we, if Christians all across our city, there's 400,000 Christians in our city, and there's 4 million people in our city who say that they don't go to church anywhere. What would happen if the Christians in our city said, you know what, I, I, I'm going to run with this ministry of reconciliation. I'm, I'm not going to worry about what people, other people will say because it matters to Zacchaeus that I, that I spend time with him. It matters to that woman who was shamed and publicly humiliated. And so I don't care what anyone else is going to think because there's people in our city that are lost and are hurting and are broken and they have no idea and they have no one reaching out to them. Who is there in your life that they need someone to reach out to and to show them some love, show some compassion, show grace, show mercy, to be ambassador for, for Jesus Christ? What would Jesus want me to say to this person? How would he want me to love this person, care for this person? You know, back, back quite some years ago now, I, uh, we had a connect group in Australia. I had a men's connect group, and we thought it would be a cool idea for us to go out and play some pool, uh, snooker, I always w worry whether that translates well here or not. But anyway, just pretend like, like you know what I'm talking about if you don't. But we went out to this uh, place and a lot, lot of different pool tables and we're all playing. And there's this one guy that came along. His name was Ray. And uh, Ray was, had been invited by a, a friend of Sam's. Actually, this, this friend of Sam's, her family had known Ray since he was a little boy and seen him grow up. And, and, and Ray had got off the rails quite a bit back then. And uh, he was into all kinds of stuff. He was um, 
doing the drugs. He was growing the drugs. He was dealing the drugs and with all the wrong kind of people that you can be doing that stuff with. And uh, Ray finally got to a point in his life where he thought, I've got to get out of this. You've got to stop. And so he went to this family that he'd known, and they took him in. And so they'd invited him along to this pool night. And so I, I, I see Ray come, and we're about the same age. So I think, hey, I'll hang out with Ray and just get to know him a little bit, and, and hopefully he'll want to come back along, come back, and all that kind of good stuff. And uh, so he came, and we played pool. And uh, he'll tell you that he beat me. I want to tell you that I let him win. I'm telling you that because I'm hoping he'll come over and visit us here one day. And, uh, and uh, anyway, that next week, his job was a roofer. He would put roofs on, on big, massive buildings. And he was putting a, a roof on an indoor, what was about to become an indoor swimming pool. And he cut his hand on this tin that they were laying down on top. And uh, it was bleeding a fair bit. So he got like this silicon gun and uh, that you use to kind of stop leaks and that kind of stuff. And he thought that'll stop the, the bleeding so he can keep working. So he put this silicon into his finger and then wrapped it up and then kept working. Well, over time, over the rest of that day and the next day, it started getting pretty red and pretty sore. And uh, I think that maybe two days later, he thought, I better go and see the doctor. So he went to the doctor and, and showed the doctor and the doctor said, I'm calling you an ambulance right now. And uh, Ray, if you know Ray, and some of you do, I know. He said, ah, mate, she'll be right. I'll just drive myself up to the hospital. So that's what he did. He drove himself up to the hospital. And he went in there, and, you know, the emergency room was full of people waiting. But he walked in there, and they, they saw what was going on. And so he went, like, almost straight to the top of the list, and they took him in. And uh, it was probably around about that time that he'd called me or sent me a message, whatever it was, and just said, hey, I'm at the hospital. So I got in my car and I, and I drove up to, to see him. And I was late in the afternoon at this stage. And he's panicking because he's just, have to, he's just had to sign a waiver. They're going to operate. They have to operate on his hand. He had to sign a waiver where we're going to take his hand, cut his hand off or his arm like at the, or about here, or his whole arm right up at the, at the shoulder. He had to sign three different waivers for that. And so now the reality of his dumb decision is starting to dawn on him. And, and he's, he only knows how to work with his hands. That's, that's been his whole life. It doesn't matter whether he's putting roofs on building or fixing cars or whatever it is. Everything that he knows to do, it's all with his hands. And now he's thinking, my life is, he's thinking, my life is over. And uh, so I caught a call and I went and I watched some uh, football with him on the TV and we get talking and I pray with him. And uh, it's that moment that he dedicates his life to Christ. They're in the hospital. And then I leave and, I, and he knows and I know because he told me that his operation is going to be like sometime, like first thing in the morning, some crazy stupid hour. I guess they were running pretty busy, the hospital there. All I knew was the next morning when I went to go and see him, I was going to know whether he still had a hand, an arm, or a, a whole arm missing. And uh, so I went in the next morning, and uh, he's sitting there with this big, dumb, goofy grin on his face because he didn't. the operation went really well and he didn't lose anything. 
and uh, they were able to get all the infection out of his hand. And uh, before I'd gotten there, the, a nurse was changing the dressing, and uh, he's watching the you know nurse pull all this stuff out of his out of his out of his finger here, out of his hand, and and he's kind of looking at it. and once all this out there, he's kind of looking at it, you know moving his thing around. That's cool. I can see my knuckle. I can see all that stuff. That makes me sick. And then she's got to repack it now with all the packing, and she's putting it in there, and he's kind of just sitting there going, oh, that's kind of cool. And the nurse says to him, doesn't this hurt? And he's going, no, those, the, the painkillers, the drip, the, drip, the painkiller stuff that you got me on is, is uh, working really good, actually. And uh, she said, no, your painkillers wore off a long time ago. That's just hydration. And, uh, you know, when, when she said that to him, he remembered a prayer the prayer that I'd prayed. Because as well as praying for him to, to receive Christ, I prayed, obviously, for the operation, and I prayed that he wouldn't lose his arm. Man, I, I prayed that he wouldn't lose any part of his arm or his hand. And I'm thinking, Lord, are you hearing this? Because I'm going out on a limb here, Lord. No pun intended. I actually did not intend that at all. <laughs> But what he prayed, what I prayed was that, that there would be no pain, that there would be no pain. So he'd have the operation and, and I don't even, I, honestly, I, I told Ray, I don't even remember praying that. He said, I remember you praying that because the moment the nurse told me you weren't on any painkillers at all at that moment, just hydration, he remembered the prayer. It was a confirmation to him that God hears prayer and that God answers prayer. And you know, from that moment on to today, you know, Ray, like the rest of us, he's had his ups and his downs. But he's doing so good today. He's back at roofing again, which I'm not sure is a, a great thing, scary thing. But I tell that story because that's what the ministry of reconciliation looks like. It doesn't mean we have to go and stand out on street corners and get a little soapbox and stand up on it and start preaching out of the gospel of Matthew. I don't think that's what it means. It means seeing the Zacchaeuses and seeing the Marys and seeing the woman caught in adultery and seeing the rays and saying, how can I help? How can I encourage you? Can I pray with you? Let's talk. Let's talk about what's going on. That's what the ministry of reconciliation looks like. The moment that we were reconciled to God, God gave us this ministry. He gave you this ministry. And I wonder whether there's some Zacchaeuses in your life or some of those women caught in adultery or some rays or whoever in your life that God's saying, would you go and be an ambassador for me to that person? Would you go and hang out with that person? Would you just go and spend time? You don't have to have all the answers. You don't have to know everything to say. Would you just go and show them the love of Christ? Will you just go and hang out with them? Will you go and be with them? Let them know that you're there for them. Let them know that, the, that you're praying for them. That's what the ministry of reconciliation looks like. So this morning, I, I know it's Mission Sunday, and I've kind of made it really all about what God's doing right here in our own heart and, and how we're going to respond in this ministry of reconciliation. It's not just here that the ministry of reconciliation works, that it's operating 
but it's around the globe. It's every well that we dig in Cambodia, every, every well that we support and that we provide, that we pay for. I want you to know that a church is planted, a house church is planted every single time that we, that we construct a well in a village, that the gospel goes forward and people hear it. When we build a home for a widow in Burundi, that widow is told that there's a church that loves you, that wants you to have a home. And here's why. Because they want you to know the love of God and they want you to know that God has not forgotten you, that God hasn't left you alone. What we do, church, it's, it's great to see the projects and it's great to see the money raised, but what we do is the ministry of reconciliation. It's the ministry of seeing people come into the relationship with Jesus Christ, to receive Him as their Lord and their Savior. So I'm going to pray. And I want us to consider this week, who would God lead us to? Who's God? I don't even, I know, because for me, there's even someone on my own heart that even as I was speaking today, that I know I want to go and be an ambassador for Christ too. And maybe there's someone in your life that as I was sharing today, that your mind went to one or two or three people, whatever it is, that you can go and show them the love of Christ too. Lord God, we thank you for this day. Lord, thank you for your word. Lord, thank you that you reconciled us. Lord Jesus, you said it was as a joy before you, like we were the joy that was set before you when you endured the cross and when shame was put on you and humiliation was put upon you. Lord, you endured it all because of the joy that was set before you because of your love for us. And so, Lord, God, I pray that you would use us, Lord, to be ministers of reconciliation, Lord, to, to be ambassadors for Jesus Christ, Lord, that you would lead us to the Zacchaeuses and to the Marys and to the, the women who have shameful past, Lord, to the Rays, Lord, to those who are really, honestly, just like us before we met you. Lord, we all recognize our desperate need for you, Lord, and we just ask, Lord, that you would show us, Lord, those that you would lead us to this week as their Lord and Savior. Let them discover the hope and the joy and the love and the mercy that, Lord, that we ourselves found in you. Lord, we thank you for the life, Lord, that you've given us to live. Let, let it be all for you, for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the podcast. We hope it blessed and encouraged you. Join us live on Sunday or at our midweek Connect Small Group meetings in North Phoenix, Arizona.